Our Bible reading today comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. That's Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Well, it was good to go uh, last night to the Franklin Graham tour. I was, uh, I was where's Peter? I was, I was thinking, what do I call it? Because I was thinking, do I call it concert? It wasn't a concert it sort of was a concert it's a tour that's what it was a Franklin Graham tour and um and so we watched a video uh, at that at that um evening last night and I'd seen this video clip before uh while I was at Newport and I thought it's, it's a really good reminder of the supremacy we talked about last like last week the supremacy of Christ in our lives so I thought we'd, we'd show that now and then I'll, I'll come back up and we'll, we'll explore a little bit of the Colossians today thank you You, look at your eyes, look at them, speckled, colorful, each one unique, and I created every one of them, I created everything, the universe, and you, I gave you your personality, I made you pure, and every day I give you life I love you but something happened you cheated on me you didn't trust me you sinned you cut yourself off from me 
And although you're still alive, you are slowly dying. So you looked for other things. To fill the void. But nothing works. It just kills you faster. And it separates us more and more. What are you searching for? destroyed, but to know me, so I became one of you, a fragile creation, I was tempted, but I never sinned, I came to save you, you have so many sins, and they have a cost, someone has to die, you, or me. So I took on your sin and traded in my life for yours. And I died in your place. Because I love you. Then Follow me. Pretty powerful, hey? What a reminder of the Lord that we serve, that he would come to forgive our brokenness. Well, good to be here today. I'll try not to move too much because I feel like I'm crackling a little bit, so I'll try to stay still today. <laughs> Um, if you're visiting for the first time, I want to say welcome. Uh, I'm still looking around going, I've no idea if you're a visitor or not, so make yourself known. Um, it's, it's good to have you here. And uh, we, I'll be at the, the newcomer's lunch, uh, or morning tea, which is uh, good because I'm a fairly newcomer and it'll be good to meet some others who uh, have only been here a little bit of time or if today's your first time, come along. Uh, it'll be great to see you. Um, now, I showed that video for a couple of reasons. Um, because we saw it last night, it was good. It was good. It was good, a good reminder. Um, 
And, but throughout the evening last night, there was a very clear theme coming through. Uh, it reminded us that we're not only chained by our sin, but we're free and we're released in Christ Jesus through his death and resurrection. So as I watched that last night, I couldn't help but connect to what I've been thinking about in the, the Colossian passages, um, and especially with what we were talking about last week in the church, that, that Jesus is the only one who is sufficient to bring me back into a, real, a right relationship with God. The only one. There is nothing else that can bring me back to that right relationship. I can't do that on my own. I can't make that relationship happen on my own. All I am is a smashed up plate. I can't be whole again. And I'm urged, therefore, because of that truth, because of this supremacy of Christ, because Christ is number one, that we must continue in the faith that we've been taught, digging down our roots really deep, growing towards maturity in Christ. Our response to that is that we grow towards maturity. So as we come to our third week together, the third week of this series continue, today we're going to see that within that space of being made whole again in Christ, there are some threats. There are threats all around us. There are threats in this world that threaten to steer us off course, to take us away from that wholeness that we've, been, that we've found in Christ and rather take us into a space where we keep our eyes on ourselves. But Paul's cry to the church is, don't depreciate what you've learnt. Don't lower the standards of what you learnt by investing in the works of the world, the things of this world. Rather, he says, since you died with Christ, we now have freedom in Christ. Our reading in Colossians 2 this morning brings into sharp focus this idea of freedom. Now, freedom is defined as the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. Freedom is the opposite of slavery. In 1834, after 30 years of, of pushing the abolition of slave, the slave trade um, in, in England, the act was passed and slavery was considered illegal. Because of this bold push by William Wilberforce, uh, there is no longer any slavery in our world. Unless you dig a little deeper. Unless you understand that slavery is around more now than probably ever before. According to the website Slavery Today, there are more than 40 million slaves in our world today. 40 million, more than ever. Despite being illegal around the world, slavery generates an estimated $150 billion worldwide. It's the second most profitable crime behind drugs. Human trafficking is not hidden just to third world countries either. Human trafficking happens on our doorsteps. It comes in the form of, of slave labour, where people are forced to do manual labour for no return. In the UK, uh, when I was a youth pastor over there, we had a big push, and our, our kids love this, this drive because we're saying uh, no to certain brands of chocolate. Because what would happen is that the cocoa beans would be picked 
and given across to the, 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 the big companies, but they were being picked by child slaves. People would take these kids and they'd pick these cocoa beans. And we had a big push to say, no, we're not going to eat chocolate that has been sort of produced from the starting point of children. Sex slavery is massive across the globe. Many girls are being forced into it with no choice at all. Parents think they're going to get a better life, so they give their child across to someone, say, I'll look after them, and they're taken. Child soldiers, kids who are forced to hold guns at eight years old, being trained to fight for dictators who are too weak and too scared to fight themselves. Slavery is very real today. Slavery is very real. And the reality of our situation, and as we saw in the video, it's all too easy to become a slave to the things of this world as well. Slaves to addictions. Slaves to things, addictions such as alcohol, sex, gossip, unwholesome talk. The, we, we think, I think uh, Franklin Graham said it last night, murder. I was like, I'm, I'm not sure that there's going to be a whole lot of people in here that are, are mur- maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. Maybe they went up the front. <laughs> Who knows? But you name it. We have the propensity as humans to, to get enslaved by the things of this world. That's our nature. That's why our plates are smashed. I wonder what you're enslaved to. I wonder what takes away your freedom. If we go back to Colossians 13 to 15, we remember we're reminded by Paul that it's through Christ alone that we find freedom. He says, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it all away, nailing it to the cross, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You know, regardless of your situation, regardless of how hopeless you might find it, regardless of those things that might have kept you in chains, God's unshackled them and made you alive in Christ. He forgave each and every one of us He forgives each and every one of us. He no longer finds us guilty. Rather, we're covered by his blood. And our sins are nailed to that cross. We don't have to live in that bondage anymore. We're free. Isn't that good news? Paul moves on in in verse 16. He goes, Therefore, because of this freedom, because we are now free, because we're no longer enslaved, enslaved, therefore, don't go back into that. We've got to be cautious of the things that are of the world that can trap us and enslave us. And in the verses we heard Melinda say to us, speak to us, we heard Paul giving the church a couple of warnings. See, Paul knows that there are teachings in and through um, the, the Colossian church that are threatening that centrality of Christ. So Paul says, hey, Christ has set you free. Christ has made you alive again. Therefore, I'm going to just give you a few warnings. 
I'm going to just make sure that you've got your eyes open to the things of this world that might trap you and ensnare you and enslave you again. And those two warnings are pretty simple. He says, don't let anyone condemn you in verse 16. Don't let anyone condemn you or judge you. And the second warning in verse 18, he says, don't let anyone disqualify you. Don't let anyone exclude you. First of all, don't let anyone condemn you. The, the, the NIV says judge. Paul qualifies how these false teachers, these people that are uh, erroneous in their, in their understanding of who Christ is, he, he says in verse 16, he says, this is how they'll do it. This is how they'll condemn you. They'll use issues of food. They'll use issues of drink. They'll use issues of feasts, of new moons and Sabbaths. They might come along and say, oh, you eat that. A Christian wouldn't do that. Oh, you follow the traditions of, of, of that person? Oh, I, I wouldn't think that, uh, that you could call yourself a Christian if you do that. They use different viewpoints, understandings that are not Christ-centric to make you start to wonder. Let's imagine for a moment that I uh, next week, as of next week, we're going to make a... a, a Law, decree, command that you are not allowed to wear your shoes in church. So from next week, we're not allowed to use a, we'll all line our shoes up out the front there, and um, at the end of the night, we'll have a free for all trying to get our shoes on again. But if we make that law, and next week, I, uh, I come into the, the church early, I've got my shoes off, I'm standing up here just, just making sure that no one wears their shoes, and I see Jim, and Jim, he starts walking up and he's still got his shoes on. And I look at Jim and I give Jim the, Jim, and and I start walking towards Jim and Jim's heart beating a little bit and it's getting a bit faster. And, uh, and, and, And Jim, he's got his strong foundation in Christ. And Jim says to me, Pete, my faith in Christ doesn't rely on me whether I wear shoes in the church or not. And he puts me back in my box. Because he knows that there are things that could take us away from that centrality of Christ. Now, thanks for indulging me in a shoe story. That was just a a really over-the-top example. But he knows, or in that that, that instance, Jim's saying, you don't need to take off your shoes. You don't need to do that. Verse 18 says it's, it's, it's a notion of an unspiritual mind. Or in other words, it's this is not of God. This is not a God thing. It's not something that God set out as a foundation of your faith. To have no shoes in church is not what it says that we need to be doing. Paul says it isn't the core basis of faith. It's not the space in which you go deeper because you've left your shoes off. So don't be enslaved in the condemnation of others who make you take your shoes off or who make you think a certain way or make you act a certain way or or tell you you've got to do this or you've got to do that. Because the reality of the situation that the Colossian church was facing was that there were people who were assigning themselves to the role of determining who belonged to the people of God and who didn't. And they, that all depended on what foods you ate, what laws you kept, what sacred days were observed. And Paul says, because you're alive in Christ, you're free from the bondage of sin. Don't let those who come condemning you because of what you eat or drink or how you observe the festival days, don't become a slave to anyone's judgment anymore. Be alive. 
Be alive in Christ. Don't depreciate the works of Christ by investing in the works of the person in front of you or around you. Paul's response to these threats, he says, they're meaningless. He says they come with no substance. He says they're a shadow of things to come. I wonder if you've ever seen uh, a dog chasing their shadow. I've got a little clip to show you about a dog chasing its shadow. If you can play that for me. Very cute. The funny thing about that poor dog, it's, ne <laughs> it's never going to get it, is it? It's never going to be able to get it. It'll never make it. <laughs> as hard as it tries, it will never get the shadow. Now, the owner's been a little bit cruel, obviously holding up something that he wants. <laughs> Thank you for that. You see, the thing about a shadow is it, it, it follows you around, but it can never actually be in front of the very real object that is there. The object is always between the light source and the object uh, and the shadow. So the shadow can't be in front of you. The shadow is always coming. So the light source is coming at me from there. And as I look at it, it's really bright. But you can't see a shadow in front of me, but around me and behind me, especially from that light, my shadow is there. It's behind me. It will never be where the object actually is. So Paul's saying to these people who are, are coming, telling them that perhaps they're not good enough for the kingdom of God because you don't do what I do or you don't say what I say, he says to them, those things aren't the reality. Those things aren't the object of our faith. Those things, they're just a shadow that they'll never get to the true objective who is Christ. So these things are nothing. We already have that reality right here. We have that reality in Jesus Christ, who is the head, he says. He's the head of the church, head of the group of people that gather together. So don't let that steer you off course. That's what the whole first two chapters of Colossians have been saying. Christ is supreme. He's number one. So don't let others continue, condemn you. The second warning is don't let anyone disqualify you. Have, have you ever felt left out? Have you, have you ever been the last one picked in a team? I tell you, that's the one thing that gets my, my blood boiling is when someone's left out. My boy Tarquin is brilliant at including people. In prep, he... Um, he, he's just been like that all his, all his life. In prep, he had this uh, little friend. His name was Patrick. Now, Patrick was excluded a fair bit. He was, he was, a, he was a little bit different. He was uh, a pretty loud kid, um, and he just got left out of just about everything. Tarquin, on his uh, first uh, year of school's birthday, he must have been, what, five, I think was his, first, uh, his fifth birthday, he invited every single one in the class. And we're going, that's a lot of kids to have at a birthday party. So like, oh, Tarquin. He goes, yeah, but I don't want to leave anyone out. I said, oh, well, why can't you just sort of pick sort of half the class? He goes, yeah, but if I leave that person out, then I'm going to leave that person out. All right, well, you can have them in, you can have them in. And it got to the stage where he's like, but, Dad, I need to invite Patrick as well. And I'm like, okay, you can invite Patrick. Why do you need to invite Patrick? He says, because no one else ever has, and I need to invite him. Then at the end of that year as the kids are writing on their forms to say who they want in their class next year. Um, all their mates, so I think they got two people they could write in, so you could write two of your best mates. Tarquin wrote Patrick because he didn't want Patrick to be left out. 
the next threat for the church was exclusion. It was in that way. Don't let anyone exclude you. The background here is that there are some who came in the notion that I've got the right way to worship. So if you don't do it the way I do it, if you don't look like me, then you're really not really going to find yourself in God's kingdom. If you don't do it the way I do it, you're out. So Paul tells us in verse 18 that it comes from those who delight in a false humility in the worship of angels. Now, there are varying views as to what the worship of angels actually means. Were they some cult that glorified angels or um, above Christ? Were they uh, inviting angels to play a part in, in that, the whole realm of, of uh, protection of evil? What, what were these um, angels and the worship of angels mean? Well, well I tend to, to not worry too much about the, the, the nitty-gritty of what that specifics regarding what that means. Rather, what I feel like it tells us is that there's a group of people who actually add other things into their basis of worship rather than keeping Christ in the centre. We've learned, Paul said it in the start of Colossians, keep Christ central in your life. Keep Christ supreme. Find Christ central. Don't allow other things to come into your worship. Don't invite uh, the, the worship of angels, whatever that might mean. And they come with this false humility. This humility that, that says, hey, this is the right way. If you look at me. And Paul doesn't hold back with his response to these people. Paul tells us that these people boast of the things, uh, that boast of these things. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual minds. They're puffed up because of how they think about themselves. And by unspiritual mind, Paul's talking about the mind of the flesh rather than in the spirit. In Romans 8, verse 6 and 7, he sets out that the, the mind governed by the flesh is actually death. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The threats that are coming are erroneous. They're not helpful to the worship of Christ as supreme. And they exclude us from keeping Christ central. They don't lead you to keep Christ central. Rather, they end up disconnecting us from the head. Bring it back to today. There are threats in our faith walk every day. Temptations that lure our minds away. Frustrations that take our eyes off Christ. Pain that can lead us to anger. But Paul keeps reminding us that Christ is above them all. And any reliance upon self only serves to puff you up. So how does Paul say he's going to deal with these threats? What's he going to do? Well, he asks a question, and a question that we need to ask ourselves as well. In verse 20, he says, well, since you died with Christ to the elemental forces, spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Why do you do it? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Why do it? It's almost, it's a pretty much a rhetorical question, isn't it? It sort of doesn't make sense that you would do it. Why would you do it? Because you've died with Christ. You've become new. You're free. So why do it? Paul is suggesting that the Colossian church, perhaps they'd already fallen into some of these things of exclusion, of judgment. And whether that's the case or not, it's clear that Paul's saying, why would you do it? 
If you've taken anything from what's been written in the rest of the book of Colossians, if you adhere to the teaching of Paul regarding the supremacy of Christ in our lives and in the life of the church as the head of the church, then why would you submit yourself to things that are not edifying to you or the church? Why would you release control from Jesus to the things that merely just puff us up and have no eternal consequence? Paul concludes in verses 22 and 23 that these things are all based upon earthly teachings. They are earthly. They're of no consequence to the kingdom of God. They're there to serve the self. It's there for self-gratification. So the bottom line of Paul's message becomes this. He says, don't depreciate the supremacy of Christ by investing in the lives of the world. But that's easier said than done. It's easier to do than, than actually, easier to say than actually to do. It's easier to say, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died for me and he rose again. And, and I'm going to live every day of my life in absolute gratitude to him. Yet the reality of, of life is that emotion comes in when an argument with a spouse happens. Hurt comes from a breakdown in relationship. Guilt is caused because we make the same mistake over and over and over. There's pain when loss comes in and questions start to filter into our minds. They're all very real situations that place us on the precipice of having to make a decision. Do I opt for an easy answer? And that easy answer is often transference. I feel bad here, so I'm going to try and do something to make myself feel better. I have an have a, a, a anger here, so I'm going to do something to gratify the, the, the nature of myself that makes me feel good. And often those things are not good. And we transfer emotion for something that tries to fill a void. But the reality is, it's our own quick fix. And it never solves the problem. Or do we stand on that precipice and ask a different question? Do we look at life's hardships and problems, the messiness that goes on in each and every one of our lives, and go to the one who has the authority to make it better again? Do I go to the source of courage and encouragement? Do I once again put my soul trust into the one who is solely trustworthy? If we revisit that, that video that we saw at the start, the Smashing Plates video, there was a scene that had uh, uh, glasses of water and there was that crystal clear glass of water. Actually, all the glasses, they actually start out very clear. There's no, there's no food dye in them at the time. But the dropper dye puts in and is put in. The whole glass becomes stained. Jesus comes and through his death, he clears that glass and makes it pure once again. And he keeps on doing that because I continue to sin and fall short of God's glory again and again and again. Yeah, I have a choice still. I have a choice to, to continue to, to let my glass stay murky. Or I have a choice to come and repent and let Jesus clear my cup again. My hope is that I will stand on the precipice when I have to make a decision and remember that Christ is supreme. Christ is supreme. Christ is number one. 
it's really tough and it'd be easy to make this decision. It's really tough and I can see that that person's doing that so I want to do that as well. It's really tough and I think it would be better if I just gave up and go with that crowd. But my hope and my goal for my life and my hope for you is that when threats to faith come along and we sit on the precipice or stand on the precipice, my hope is that I come back to the only source that's going to make my cup clear again. And I pray that for you as well. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you and praise you that you have given us your word that tells us that you alone are supreme. There's no other way that we can come back to a right relationship with you only through your son, Jesus. And Lord, as we have threats that come into our lives, things that threaten our faith, things that make us question, hardships, loving God, I pray that we will be able to stand on the top of the mountain and say, I'm going with Christ. Christ will be my number one. Thank you, Lord. Amen.